0: Today's Read Midnight and the Meaning of Love by Sister Soja, Part 3 A Korean Drama, Chapter 1 A Yoke Yellow Sun, A White Sky, The Bluest Sea mounds of gold sand and an aggressive warm and moist wind it's busan korea more fishing boats and barges ships cruisers and yachts than you could imagine cargo containers were carrying everything from every corner of the world the scenery Made more unusual by the green mountains, the buildings and homes were unevenly stacked and woven around the boats and the water, not vice versa. Crooked and curved alleys flossed privately owned small businesses, hundreds of them, with thousands of outdoor vendors. Every Korean was at work, it seemed. The grandfather, the grandmother, the mother, the father, along with running toddlers and babies clinging on breasts, backs, and butts. It felt like they all knew one another well. Maybe block by block, they were all related. What's for sale? Everything. A nation of hustlers. Not even an insect or a snail was safe. As Akimi and me moved around on foot, our eyes were equally filled with curiosity and amazement at these new images. Even the feeling here was different and special. Korean people were staring, not ignoring Some seemed in awe of Akimi separately and of me individually as well. They seemed even more stunned by the two of us together. Maybe it was the colorful explosion on her yukata, the third beautiful one she had worn and I had seen. Maybe it was because she walked slowly as they hurried she was dressed for leisure and luxury. They were dressed for labor. Or maybe it was because she was with an African man in the narrow streets, ram-packed only by Koreans. Or maybe it wasn't none of that. Perhaps it was the pressure of 60 vendors positioned in a row, all selling the same products all of them, were trying to capture the attention of the same customers to secure a sale. I was puzzled over how exactly that could ever be profitable. I even wondered how one man explained to his business neighbor, Yes, I am opening my spot right next door to yours and selling the exact same things. The only way for one vendor to gain an edge on his competitor was with his display style. This is a place that looked and felt fully lived in. They were unable to keep it clean, neat, and tightly organized as every street was in Japan. In fact, here in Busan, I saw a grandmother out in the street dressed in lime green gauchos and a pink and purple blouse sporting a mean black afro while squatting on her couch, which she had parked on the curb. Her legs were cocked open as she was cutting and cleaning fish as swiftly as me and Cho. She rocked an orange visor and had a baby strapped to her lower back. She brought a smile to my face naturally. On the next block, the product changed, but the number of dealers didn't. I finally figured out there were entire alleys dedicated to only one category of goods. For example, all seafood and meats, or 30 noodle stores in a row, or exclusively fruits and vegetables and nuts. There was even a block dedicated to the red pepper and other powerful spices. The Korean everyday greeting was a long leap from a simple American, hi. Instead, they called out to one another. There were no blank faces here. No lack of emotion and no strange silences. Everyone was expressing something and voices were both raised and lowered and the language filled with musical melodies. We lined up for the bus stood there for five minutes before we realized they didn't believe in lining up. Casually, people cut in front of us or jumped in the line behind us, but in front of some other people who had been there first. I wasn't stressed about it, more in observation mode than anything else. When the bus swung into the curb, the people piled up, and the problem was... The bus driver never stopped the line even after every space was stuffed. Every step in use, every seat filled, three squeezed in two spaces. I switched places with Akimi so that she was pressed against a teenage girl instead of a male. I held her close, but everybody was holding somebody even if they didn't arrive together and were complete strangers. It was different than Tokyo, where buses and trains and places could be, and usually were, packed with people, but there was no touching. Or in New York, where if you accidentally touched or bumped somebody, you might get forcefully shoved back by a stranger yelling, get the fuck off of me. The bus driver pulled out, better yet he yanked out as soon as he caught up with the traffic he slammed on the brakes causing everyone to fall forward except there was nowhere to fall so we just mashed onto one another when the traffic advanced the driver yanked again he swept around the corner bogarting the oncoming traffic's lane we all leaned forward my hand on the window to my left held us in place my arm extended over the heads of the three guys seated there When four got off, five got on. The driver drove like he had a vendetta against his passengers. Someone dropped a bag of fruit. Oranges rolled down the narrow aisle. Some got picked up and passed to the back like batons handed off during a relay race. Two tangerines got crushed beneath scuffling feet. For many minutes, we got swung and smacked around. A bag fell from a luggage rack and tagged six heads before someone stopped it and tossed it back to its place like in a volleyball match. When the bus reached our stop, the vehicle jerked so hard we might have flown through the front windshield. We climbed down and before my foot cleared the last step, the bus yanked away, leaving a puff of black smoke as its trail. I looked down at Akimi. She looked up at me. She wiped her face and smiled and then began laughing and so did I. We laughed at that bus ride harder than at anything else since we first met. After traveling through a few African countries as well as the U.S. and Japan, I now knew Korea had the livest craziest, wildest bus ride, and there weren't even any chickens or goats on board. We looked up. Our laughter had slowed down, and we stood facing the steepest hills I had ever seen in in a residential area of any town they nearly went straight up into the sky but a bit less there was a school built on a slant on that steep hill I wondered how the students kept from flying out of their seats and falling through the windows onto the slanted dirt soccer field unable to stand up straight Even the pine trees that lined the block were leaning. I pulled out the map with the route I had drawn to Akimi's grandmother's address. Her tall building sat at the top of the highest and steepest hill. I looked at my wife and thought to myself, Loving you is hard work. If she wasn't so sweet to me, And if she wasn't so talented, and if she wasn't so pretty, and if she didn't feel so good, we began climbing, feeling like if we would have stopped for even one moment, we would have fallen backward. I got reassured as I saw a click of grandmothers gliding up the hill like it was an everyday thing talking expressively to one another and growing louder and louder as they moved along. Twenty minutes later, our calf muscles pulsating, we arrived at the building marked Hanshin in the Sajikdong section in Busan. No frontin'? It could have been mistaken for my projects. One thing I always said about my Brooklyn block "'was that there's nothing wrong with the building or the sky above. "'It's about the motherfuckers living inside there. "'Inside the elevator, three grandmothers and four toddlers leaned against one wall, "'and Akimi and I stood silently in the middle. "'One of the kids looked up and said hi to me. "'I nodded my head and said, "'Annyeonggashio,' back to him.' the kids all smiled the grandmothers stood staring at akimi meanwhile all four toddlers and akimi were staring at me they got off on six on the eighth floor we got off surprisingly there were only two apartments on each floor they must be large places i thought to myself we knocked Purposely, I stood out of the range of the people. After all, Akimi's grandmother had never seen Akimi before, so I wanted her to see her granddaughter first. The door opened partway. Akimi said, Annyeonghaseyo, and bowed all the way down. The woman who held the door stood in silence, looking at my wife. When Akimi raised up, she gasped at seeing the woman's face. The woman gasped at seeing Akimi's face, both of their eyes filled with tears. Then I knew we were definitely at the right place. The woman was obviously not a grandmother, but she had to be a relative. Her tears came too suddenly and flooded and spilled so freely and I had only known my wife to cry that way. So sincerely, so instantly, so seductively. The woman took a closer step outside her door and placed both her hands on Akimi's face. She stood staring at her for some seconds before sobbing. A soft and painful sound crept up from her gut. Akimi embraced her. The door to the apartment facing the woman's opened. An old man looked out, not at the woman, but at me. "Gonpai," he uttered. I didn't know what it meant. I said nothing. The woman in my wife's embrace, at hearing her neighbor's utterance, stepped back from Akimi and glanced at me for an eighth of a second. As she wiped away her tears, she spoke in fluent, rapid Korean to Akimi, her voice rising and falling like a melody to a tricky song. Akimi listened without interruption. When the woman ceased, Akimi said, Nampion, which I knew meant husband. The woman made a sound of only one syllable slipping out, but not a complete word. Soon she managed to mumble a full sentence. Akimi answered, The woman paused for eight seconds and then collapsed onto the floor. Akimi bent to help her. People from the other apartment came pouring out past the nosy grandfather into the hallway as though they had all been listening all along. Akimi looked at me panicked she wanted help picking the woman up I could have helped easily but I didn't want to touch the woman this seemed like a scene that could blow in any direction I gestured for Akimi to open the top of the woman's shirt her blouse was buttoned all the way up I motioned Akimi to tilt the woman's head back and pull open her mouth I placed one hand over my other hand and gestured a a pressuring motion so Akimi would do compression on the woman's chest. As the woman's eyes had not opened and she was not responding to Akimi's touch, I ripped open a gift-wrapped bottle of Uma's oil and passed it below the woman's nose. She came through. Her eyes opened. As Akimi and I were now both kneeling and the woman was on the ground and the small crowd was huddled around speaking words I couldn't hear or understand, I stood back up. Akimi extended her hand to the woman and I reached out my hand to Akimi. We got the woman to ease back onto her feet and walked her inside of her apartment. The door closed behind us, leaving the small, chattering gathering in the hallway we removed our shoes the woman had already been wearing house slippers she walked slowly over to her couch as she sat down she pointed Akimi as she sat down she pointed Akimi stood up and walked over to a glass pitcher of some type of drink that looked like iced tea she poured some into a glass and brought it over to the woman Daijobu? I asked Akimi which meant, are you okay in Japanese? Hi, daijobu. Akemi assured me softly. She sat down on the floor and motioned for me to do the same. We sat in silence for a minute. The inside of the apartment was a great surprise. Unlike the projects, it was well designed with quality wooden floors and solid walls. Glass doors led to an enclosed glass terrace filled with greenery and revealing an incredible view down over the entire neighborhood. The place was spotless, as though a meal could be eaten from the floor. A low wooden table displayed a Korean ceramic tea set, all the teacups and dishes sparkling clean with no tea in the pot. The woman began speaking softly in Korean to Akimi. As my eyes continued to move up the wall over her head where she was seated, I saw the cross. It was the same as the Christian cross I had seen in Reverend Broadman's church and in Chris's house. Observing and half-listening, all I could decipher at first was the woman asking Akimi if I was Japanese. Anayo, Akimi answered musically, the way the Koreans drag out their syllables. Then my wife laughed a little and explained that I was African. The woman continued speaking to Akimi until there was a knock at the door. That knock was the same all around the world. It was the police. My father trained me to be thoughtful. Sensei trained me to remain calm. Brooklyn trained me to stay still when confronted and cornered by the police. A flick of a finger gets a black man executed by Brooklyn blue boys in the ghetto. The two officers stepped inside, their eyes moved slowly, carefully scanning the apartment and landing on me as they spoke to the woman. Military? The officer said that one word to me. No, I answered one word back. Passport, he demanded. I wondered if these were the few English words he knew. I kept my eyes on him as I now reached in my pocket. I handed him my passport. He opened it and pulled out a flashlight and shined it on my documents, even though it was pure daylight with sunshine pouring in through the wide terrace window. Both the woman and Akimi talked non stop but softly with respectful tones to one officer as the other stood over me examining my passport. He handed it back to me. What you in Korea? the officer asked. Visit family, I responded. The officer looked back at me, looked at Akimi. "'and looked next at the woman. "'Then he looked at his partner. "'The woman stood up from her couch. "'The two cops spoke in Korean to one another, "'then turned to leave. "'Akimi rushed and opened the door for them to leave "'while the woman apologized over and over. Three seconds after the door closed, "'they knocked again. "'Akimi eased it back open. "'The officer looked at the woman.' The woman walked out into the hallway and pulled the door shut behind her as she spoke with the two officers once again. I guessed that they had to be reassured that this was not a hostage situation. They wanted to question her outside my presence. I didn't give a fuck. They were more curious and suspicious than they were hostile or vicious. They didn't seem like they needed to kill me and call it an accident. Nor would they toss a gun on me and say that I had aimed it at them and that's why they had to shoot me up 33 times. They didn't even seem like the types to lay low in the cut downstairs and chase me down the steepest hills ever, accidentally striking me with their cop cruiser. No. They only wanted and needed enough information to satisfy the neighbors about the Japanese girl, the Korean woman, and the gongpai. Meanwhile, I'm knowing it was the grandpa next door who had sounded the alarm and fingered me. He had slipped away and phoned the police. Gongpai, he had called me. I was going to find out before the end of the day if that word meant nigger. Welcome to Korea, I thought to myself. They kept it real here. Singled out a black man, confronted him, demanded ID, and questioned him. That's what I was used to. There were no ninjas, trapdoors, or sneaky, deadly silences like with the Japanese.